So Revelation chapters 17, 18, and 19. Um, but don't be alarmed. Um, we will not be digging deeply into all three of those chapters. Rather, what I would like to do is just kind of give you a, a, an overview of the three chapters. <clears throat> and um, in the next week or so, we will go back and dig into a couple of the sections. But I wanted you to get a, a feel for what is happening in, in chapters 17 and 18 and 19 in our series in, in Revelation. And to do so, I thought it might be helpful for us to, as our scripture reading, to read chapter 17, verses 1 through 7, and then chapters, chapter 18, verses 1 through 4. So our scripture reading will be chapter 17, 1 through 7, and then 18, verses 1 through 4. So Revelation 17. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carries her. In chapter 18, verses 1 through 4. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all the nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. This is the reading of God's word. So we're continuing our series in Revelation and as we have been following along, we've seen what God has been showing, what Jesus has been showing to, to John about what was and what is and what is about to take place. And this is unfolded in a series of sevens. We saw the seven seals on the scroll. We saw the seven trumpets. We saw the uh, seven bowls of God's wrath being poured out. We looked at those in the last couple of weeks. 
And that's what leads us to this section here in chapter 17. Chapter 16, as you see the heading on chapter 16, you have the pouring out of those seven bowls. And culminating, it says in verse 12, with the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, okay, which is where Babylon resides, right? So there's a connection there. Its water was dried up to pay, prepare the way for the kings of the east. And then I saw the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. And then the seventh bowl happens in verse 17. The seventh bowl poured out, uh, poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice out of the temple from the throne saying, it is done. So here you have this kind of concluding final battle. And what you have in Revelation chapter 17, 18, and 19 is basically a, an extended, vivid interpretation of those last bowls of God's wrath. At least the, la at least the seventh. Uh, some would say the sixth, maybe two. But at the ending of the pouring out of those bowls, especially bowl seven, what you have here is an extended like interpretation of that. And we're introduced, as we read, to this to this great prostitute and the beast. We have a description of her in chapter 17. We have um, songs, you could say, call them songs, uh, pronouncements of, of judgment um, in chapter 18 of Babylon's fall. You see it says there, the heading above chapter 18 says the fall of Babylon. And then in 19, you have a, a sevenfold song of rejoicing over the fall of Babylon. So these three chapters are dealing with like this one big picture. It's a lot to cover and a lot to unpack. But I would like for us to at least draw up this one theme that spans chapters 17, 18, and 19. And this theme is this, two women. Okay, so if there's anything you need to remember about this these chapters, 17, 18, and 19, is that there are two women. The first one we read about, the first woman is Babylon, who is called the, the great prostitute in verse 1. In verse uh, 5, she's Babylon the great, the mother of the prostitutes of earth's abomination. Okay, so who is this Babylon? We know a, a little bit uh, about uh, Babylon. Now, there, there's lots of different views. Some people will say, well, this is actually a kingdom that will happen in where uh, an earthly physical kingdom that will be restituted or restored uh, over in the Middle East uh, in that time. Uh, I, I tend to not think that that is the, the case in this one, because I think uh, along with the rest of Revelation, we need to get kind of the symbolic meaning behind Babylon. The, the name Babylon is, is supposed to be a mystery. It's a code word. It even tells you here uh, in verse 5, on her forehead was written a name, and then the name is a mystery. Some, some translations have mystery Babylon the great, but it, it probably more accurately should be read in verse 5, on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon. So the name Babylon is supposed to be mysterious. It's supposed to be symbolic. It is supposed to connect us to something else. Now Babylon is kind of a, a, a city, nation, empire that uh, goes back to the earliest parts of the Bible. Remember the story of the Tower of Babel, right? 
where all the nations were working together to make a name for themselves. And they were working to build a tower to go up to the heavens, to go up to God. And God, uh, as the story goes, God looks down in quite like ironic fashion. They're trying to exalt themselves up to see how the eye they could get. And the, the, the narration is, and God looked down to see what was going. Oh, what are these people trying to do? And it was their arrogance. Showing themselves to be kind of these, the rulers of the world and ruling themselves in their own way. And so God uh, says, well, if they're able to do this with one language, let me scatter their languages and get them scattered all over the, the world. That places the Tower of Babel, which is the early ancient origins of Babylon or Babylonia or Babylonian Empire. Again, you see this later in the Old Testament. Babylon is a, a picture of that empire that God used, an evil empire that God used to bring judgment on the people of Israel for their worshiping of other idols, abandoning their covenant, and they were taken away in exile to Babylon. Remember the story with King Nebuchadnezzar. And again, this picture of this arrogant, haughty, prideful uh, sort of uh, empire, especially in Daniel's interactions with, with Nebuchadnezzar and Nebuchadnezzar having to be humbled. Remember the king of Babylon having to be humbled. So you remember the story. So Bab- Babylon throughout the scripture kind of has this association with worldly arrogance and pride. And so when uh, John sees this, this great prostitute and then he sees that she's called Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes. Uh, you, you get the picture here that this is, this is uh, referring to, um, and I'll, I'll just read it here, uh, a geo, it, it is not a geopolitical world power, that this is an ungodly world system. Okay, this is what Babylon represents, an ungodly world system. It's the forces... At work in the world, human forces, human agencies, controlled by Satan to draw people away from Christ. Okay? So these forces in the world, controlled by Satan, to draw people away from Christ. Because notice that the woman is riding what? The scarlet beast. We've seen the beast all throughout Revelation. This is one of kind of this manifestation of, of Satan and his work. And so this woman is kind of riding along. The beast is kind of carrying her along. The beast is carrying this woman along and this woman is doing uh, the beast's bidding. And this beast is, um, you should kind of understand three things about this woman um, and what is going on. First, we kind of we, we would say that these would be forces and powers and systems that are in the world to draw people away from Christ. These might take the form of governmental forces or the power of the state to draw people away from Christ. Notice what it says in verse 2 of chapter 17. That this, this woman, Babylon, this great prostitute, is seated on many waters with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. 
So notice the kings of the earth. Again, chapter 18, if you were to flip over in chapter 18, verse 9. And it says, And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. So this is uh, the kings of the earth kind of represent that. uh, And this is why we don't think that it's just maybe one geopolitical entity that will happen in the future. Uh, necessarily, because all of the kings of the earth, they're all part of this. They're all kind of drunk on this. This is something that will span through all kinds of governmental systems in all kinds of states. And uh, that's not very hard to think about, really, is it, when you think about it? Uh, A force, sometimes we'd call it worldliness, this force that John calls, like, this this is Babylon. This is the world, arrogant world system that thinks it's going to run things its own way and will lead people away from Christ. And this will manifest itself in governmental things, right? I mean, you think about uh, even even in, uh, you can think about what's happening in China. We've talked about that before. You can think about even in this country, there's political people who are pushing political agendas that will align themselves with wicked corporations Um, to bring about legislation or to tear down legislation that uh, creates immorality. I mean, how many of you saw what happened or heard about what happened uh, in New York State, for instance, with the removal of all kinds of uh, uh, abortion protections? New York, it's now legal. You can actually terminate a pregnancy up to the up to birth and if you see that you should you should see like you should recognize this is not just political these are satanic forces human agents that are you know what you say are they operated by satan here well yeah kind of this is babylon Human agencies and human forces working to do Satan's bidding. That's exactly what that is. And they were cheering in the New York house when they were doing this. Cheering. There's times when the Babylon Bee is really funny. And times when it's kind of not funny. And one of the headlines this last week had a big satanic figure jumps out in cheers and they photoshopped like this picture of like this red bee. I mean, you saw this, okay? It's, it's like, well, that's supposed to be funny. And you're like, no, it's not. That is, that's kind of, that's not funny because that is kind of what is happening. I could go on about that, but you, you get the idea. Um, another example I think of um, We don't talk about this much anymore, but governments that legalize lotteries, for instance, okay? They're they're literally making laws that allow themselves to prey upon their own people, their own citizens. I, I mean, when you have governments that will prey, that will, for financial gain, are working to prey upon its own people, it makes you kind of open your eyes to what's what's going on in the world. So the kings of the earth will be drunk with her her wine. 
So this just takes the governmental form or, or state form. It takes religious form too. And I think this is the imagery behind uh, uh, the sexual immorality terminology that's used in verses 2 and 3. The kings of earth who have committed sexual immorality with her. We've already seen this earlier. These are the exact terms that Jesus uses with his churches to describe idolatry. Okay? We, we've seen this before is, is that this... This prostitute, you got to use, use this term prostitute. We, we shouldn't understand this as literal only. Although it certainly would include um, that, but it includes more. This is uh, um, throughout the Old Testament, uh, prostitution and going and joining yourselves with a prostitute had religious connotations with Israel. That's what the other religions did to honor and worship their God. And when Israel engaged in those kinds of things, it was an idolatry type of thing. And you see that here in Revelation chapter 2. Look at uh, with the church at Pergamum in Revelation chapter 2, verse 14, where he says, um, I have these things against you. You have some here who hold to the teaching of Balaam who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might not eat Food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. That's the same Greek term that's used here for what this woman Babylon does. Again, with the church in Thyatira in verses 20 and 21. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel. Again, taking an Old Testament figure. You've seen this. Who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality. Okay, that's. The term that's used, and to eat food sacrificed to idols. See, these, these go together. These go together. And so, these are religious forces, too. And by that, I mean false religious forces. You know, religions that set themselves up being for your pleasure and for your gain. That's Babylon. That's Babylon. There's also economic forces at play here, too. So we've seen governmental or state forces, religious forces, economic forces. Notice 17, verse 4. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet. These are royal colors. Extravagant colors. Wealthy. Luxurious. Adorned with gold and jewels and pearls. Holding in her hand a golden cup. Full of the abominations. Notice what the description of her in chapter 18, verse 3. For all the nations have drunk the wine of her passion, of her sexual immorality. The kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Notice verse 9. Kings of the earth and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. And one more. Let's read verses 11, chapter 18, verses 11 through 20. This is talking about the effect of this woman and the merchants. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn for her, meaning of her downfall, fallen as Babylon, since no one buys their cargo anymore. Cargo of gold and silver and jewels and pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, 
myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots and slaves. That is human souls. So these merchants of the earth who've been dealing with all of these luxurious things, they're, they're mourning when she falls because they're mourning, oh, the things that we've been trusting in, the financial, material, wealth, and luxury we've been trusting in goes with her too. And then verse 14, the fruit for which your soul longed has, has gone from you. All of your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you. Never to be found again. The merchants of the wares who gained wealth from her stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen, in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and jewels and with pearls. For in a single hour, all this wealth has been laid to waste. This is takes governmental or state power, takes religious, idolatrous powers, and uses even economic powers to draw people away from Christ to the beast. Seeking trust and security and happiness in worldly things. This is this is Babylon's job. Seeking trust and security and happiness in political or governmental powers. Trusting in those. Have you ever noticed how some people, when they talk about politics, and I'm talking like, you know, people on the news and these talking heads, that that will cure everything. Our political position will cure everything. It's almost, if you listen long enough, you're almost like, do you, you literally worship those are you using worship terminology. You're using God terminology to describe your platform. Seeking trust and security in happiness in political or governmental powers or seeking trust and security and happiness in idolatrous religions. Religions focused on me. Prosperity gospel. This is all of that. You know what they all have in common? Babylon. That's the first woman. That's the first woman. And what makes her so dangerous is her seduction. Okay, there's, there's two major challenges to Christians, I think, in the last days. Two major challenges to Christians. One is persecution. The other is seduction. One is persecution from the world to the person, right? The other is seduction to the world. The other is seduction to Babylon. And I think this corresponds to, to the two soils we saw with Jesus' parable of the various soils that are on the, the earth, right? It says, I'm sowing the, the seed out and some of it. Satan just gobbles it up. It never even gets a chance to penetrate into the soil. The last one, he says, is the, the seed... Uh, the soil receives the seed and it is able to bear fruit. But the, notice the two soils, the middle two soils. You have the rocky ground is the second one. And this is what it says in Matthew 13. This is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation 
or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. That's the first one. That's the first danger, right? You're, you're, you love the gospel, but when it comes to where you're going to get persecuted for it, you kind of retreat and fall away. But here's the second one. This is the third. This is what I think is what Babylon is all about, is this, that third soil, which is the seed that's sown among the thorns, right? Listen to what Matthew says, what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 13. This is the one who hears the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and prove it unfaithful, right? Persecution from outside the world and then seduction to it. I think Jesus, those middle two soils, who also share with the, con- the fourth one that they did receive the word. Those, I think, are the two greatest challenges uh, to, to Christians today. And what Babylon represents is the second one, seduction. You're supposed to read this depiction of her, and you're like, wow, the kings of the earth, they were, they're drunk. That's the first woman. That's the first woman we need to know in Revelation chapter 17 through 19. Here's the second woman. Let's read. Uh, let's move to chapter 19. Chapter 19 begins with a, a, the first of sevenfold song of joy in heaven at the final downfall of this Babylon. That's the first couple of verses. It's bursting out in, in joy here. After this, I heard what seemed to be a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God for his judgments are true and just for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality. That's the first woman and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more, they cried out, Hallelujah. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. Okay, so we have uh, the song of praise continues, verses 4 and 5. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen and hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, great, small and great. Okay, that's the praise in heaven for this final destruction of this evil woman that's causing people to go away from God and from Christ. Now, notice what happens in verses uh, 6 and 7 and into verse 9. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of the mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. Why? For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Here's the second woman. First woman is Babylon. The second one is the bride. See how I alliterated that? Really cool with the bees, right? First one is Babylon. The second one is the bride. The bride of Christ. This is why they're giving praise. Babylon is falling, and at the same time, a wedding feast is breaking out. And it's the wedding of the lamb that we've seen throughout the picture. This is the, the lamb is Jesus, right? 
So the bride shows up. Notice it continues, verses 8 and 9. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Notice how she contrasts here. The woman is dressed in purple and scarlet and has all of these things. And those are taken from her and she is destroyed. And then what you have left is this pure, beautiful, white linen bride. Okay, two women. Verse 9, and the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. So this is a marriage feast. Now, <coughs> um, uh, this imagery of, of a wedding feast at the last day is kind of is seen throughout. Jesus uses this in very subtle ways uh, in his teachings. One time he's being criticized by the religious leaders and the Pharisees were like, hey, why don't you guys fast? Your disciples don't fast. And Jesus kind of, you know, the way he does his creative little thing, he's like, hey, when you're at a wedding feast, do you fast? He goes, when the groom shows up, because that was how what initiated the wedding service was that the groom would show up. Everybody would be waiting you know, everybody would be gathered together. The bride would be there. The bridesmaids would be there. They're all supposed to be ready. And then the groom shows up. I, I don't, why, why don't we do that anymore as a practice? Do, do none of us trust the groom to show up on, you know, like the last bit, how long do we have to wait? But that was how the practice was. You would wait. And then if the groom shows up, hey, that's when everything started. Right. And so Jesus goes. Hey, the groom is here. When the groom's here, the feast starts. So he goes, that's why the disciples don't fast. There'll come a time when they'll have to fast. They'll be mourning because I'll be taken from them. But Jesus is the bride in that parable, or the, the, bride's, the, the bridegroom in that parable, right? And again, Matthew chapter 25, one of the several accounts that Jesus gives of uh, a parable of how uh, what it will be like when he comes back. And he says, this is kind of what it's like. It's a whole bunch of bridesmaids and they're supposed to have their wicks trimmed and ready and the oil ready for their lance because when the, bri when the groom shows up, we need, to, we need to be ready to go. And he says, there will be five, there were five that, that weren't ready. And then you had five that were ready. And then the other five that weren't ready, they were trying at the last minute to try and get the other five to help them. And they're like, hey, it's too late. He's shown up, the party started, we have to go. And Jesus uses that story and to tell them, be ready for my coming. Again, Jesus is the groom. And I'd say probably the clearest example would be Ephesians chapter 5. So if you would turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5, chapter, chapter 5, verses 22 through 33 and here Paul is giving these instructions to to wives and husbands and he goes on and he gives instructions to children's and parents and to masters and bond servants later in the chapter but he he's giving instructions to all the various different you know kind of people groups in the in the church and he gives instructions to wives wives submit to your husbands as to Christ so there's the relationship there and then uh, in verse 25 husbands love your wives and then notice what it says husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. As a husband is to a wife, Jesus is to his church. 
that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Fine white linen, Revelation 17. They're talking about the same thing. That she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. And then what does it say? Just as Christ does the church. Notice verse 32. This mystery, he says, is profound. And I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. Every human marriage on earth reflects the true spiritual marriage that Jesus models for us. And that is Christ and his bride. Okay? The lamb and his bride, Jesus and the church. The church. So back to Revelation chapter 19. Notice it it continues on this theme. Actually, jump to 20 to uh, uh, verse to chapter 21, verse two. When John sees the new heaven and the new earth, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Okay, so this this church then is also the new Jerusalem. It's the dwelling place of God with his people. Notice verse 10. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance, like a most rare jewel, like Jasper, and then goes on. And it has um, the it has a great high wall with 12 gates and the 12 angels and on the gates of the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed and on the east three gates, north, south, verse 14. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations. On them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So what he sees is he sees the city coming down. This is the bride. This is, this is the church. We've seen this already too. This, the 24 elders. What is the 24 that represents maybe like the 12, the number 12 of the tribes of Israel and and maybe the 12 apostles. You know, that's what makes the 24. We've seen this before when he hears the numbering of the calling of the 12 tribes of Israel and he turns around and then he sees something different. Numerous myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands from every people, nation, tribe, tongue and language, you know. okay. so this is. He's describing, whoa, this city has gates and on them are written the 12 tribes of Israel and its 12 foundations and it's the 12 apostles. Like this is the church he's talking about. The one true church. The one people of God. That's who the bride is. So who's the woman? Who's the second woman? The church. The bride represents the people of God. The woman of Babylon represents the world systems. The bride of the lamb represents the people of God. And so here's the message today. There's a message. It's a a call for everyone. 
chapter 18, verse 4. It's two parts, really. Come away from Babylon. Come away from Babylon. Verses 18, verse 4. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people. Come out of her. Lest you take part in her sins and share in her plagues. Come away from the religious systems, the geopolitical systems, the the economic systems that are seeking to seduce your heart away from Christ. Come out of it. Come out of Babylon. That's the first message. Come out of Babylon. The second one is come to the bride. Come to the bride. You are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Chapter 19, verse 9. The angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's two women. And two calls. Come out of her. Come out of Babylon. Come to the Lamb. That's the choice that's before us, friends. That's the choice that's before every single person right now. Christian or unchristian. You are called to come out of Babylon and come to the bride. Repent of your past ways and the ways in which you rebel against God. And confess faith in the one who would bring you to God. That is Jesus Christ. Come out of Babylon and come to the bride. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this word that you've given us. Oh, what a joy it is to know that you are a God who speaks to us and speaks to us in a powerful way. God, may you um, even now be using your word to draw us away from these worldly systems that lure us and seduce us to do the beast's bidding. Instead, God, unite us by faith to Christ. And we look forward to the day when we are joined with him forever and ever. And we look forward to that feast. God, we thank you uh, for the chance for us to feast together here as your people on earth. And may we do so as an anticipation of the glorious feast that is to come. We thank you for this food that, that you have provided through the hands of the people who brought it. And we pray all this in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Would you stand for closing closing for benediction? And then uh, announcement there too on keep the, see the save the date there for the uh, junior high students. March 1st, Friday, March 1st. We've got another uh, night plan there with either some uh, sledding or we tournament possibly um, so now our closing benediction brothers and sisters now may the grace of our lord jesus christ and the love of god our father and the fellowship that we have in the holy spirit be with you as you go thank you